With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Not quite the thriller we all hoped Baku would be, but after what feels like forever, Formula One is back after a little spring break. And it was Sergio Perez who took the Grand Prix win and the sprint win in Azerbaijan to close to within a few points of his teammate Max Verstappen at the top of the Drivers' Championship. What about that pit lane drama at the end? Has Fernando gone a little bit soft? The Netflix curse is definitely a real thing. Welcome along to the New Look WTF1 Race Review Podcast. My name is Harry Benjamin. Alongside me, after every Grand Prix this year, is racing driver Callan O'Keefe. And Callan, I know for the eagle-eyed listeners, they would have heard us do uh, do the Australian podcast as well. Uh, but for those who are perhaps dipping in uh, for Baku, or perhaps who are new to WTF1, welcome along. Tell us a bit about you. I'm going to ask you three questions, and I want three succinct answers, please. I want your first F1 memory. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Callan O'Keefe. I'm the founder of School Ascend. Um, my first F1 memory was was back in Kailami. I'm from South Africa originally. And when I was about four years old, my parents took me to go see the, the Williams BMW Formula One cars testing. And from that moment onwards, I just fell in love with the sport. It was honestly the best day of my life, the screaming engines, watching the cars come through at the speed. And from that day, I decided that I wanted to be a racing driver. So um, that was where my, my love of Formula One started. Now, even though you are a racing driver, did you have did you have a favorite or do you have a favorite? Are you a fan of anyone? I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a fan of a particular driver, but I think because obviously when you're in the sport, you start to admire certain qualities that drivers have. You know, I've always been a fan of, of the greats, you know, Senna, Schumacher, even Hamilton. You know, he's he's definitely on that list now. And then you, I love the, the challenge that comes with the young drivers, the Verstappens, the people who try and overthrow the uh, the areas that tend to come in, you know, when we had the, the domination of Sebastian Vettel. So I wouldn't say I've got a particular favorite driver, but definitely um, learning to respect all the qualities that every driver brings to Formula One and, and looking out for those keen little details that they bring. Now, you mentioned the school of Sen there. For those who don't quite know what you do outside of WTF1, what do you do? So I founded School Ascend three years ago with the kind of ideology of of creating like a complete driver development program for young drivers trying to make it in the world of motorsport. I think there's been a lot more narrative now, especially with like Drive to Survive and and generally new fans coming into the sport. It's kind of unlocking how difficult it really is to make a career in, in motorsport in general. So we started this, we now manage drivers. We, we handle the driver development, the coaching, the pre-event prep, post-event debrief and trackside support. So we're like the, the little voice in the driver's ears trying to stop them from uh, making the same mistakes we made during our own careers. The perfect person then to have on the podcast after every race, given that driver expertise. Um, now I'll go. My name, hi everyone. My name's Harry, uh, and uh, my first F one memory. Thanks for asking. Uh, is it's probably 2011, right? It's a really rogue memory. Everyone has these like amazing pinpoint memories. 2011 Belgian Grand Prix. I think it was the first F one race. Yeah, probably really ever watched. And all I seem to remember is that Bruno Senna was in a Lotus Renault and Jaime Algashwari in a Toro Rosso. And they qualified really well in like a wet qualifying. And I was like, oh, they clearly weren't meant to be there. Underdogs at the front. And I was like, come on, good results on for them. Turn one, they crash into each other. Uh, it was a great <laughs> start. Favorite driver, controversially, 
It's a guy called Paul DeResta. Uh, and apparently that's a bit controversial. So I tend to get up to myself, but he's a good driver and I have faith in him. Uh, and outside of WTF1, yeah, don't give me that look. Uh, outside of WTF1, I am a presenter and a commentator. I do Formula 3. I do Formula 1 for uh, 5 Live sometimes. And I also do F1 Academy now. Um, so that's us, really. And we're going to be here with you for every single race. So uh, you, you're stuck with a, a bitter Red Bull reject and a crofty wannabe. So that's going to be a fun What a combination season. that is as what well. What a Let's, combination. Well, you, you don't get much better than that let's you really real. don't we peaked already uh, that's <laughs> us anyway but alongside us each week uh, we'll have a wide array of guests from the motorsport world and to talk all things back it's a voice and a face you'll already be familiar with uh, it's wtf1 social genius hannah atkinson uh, uh, hannah i mean we just spoke about it off air the baku racing bit mid yeah it was not the best i think if you compare it to the previous baku races it really wasn't the best. If you compare it to other races across the season, though, it wasn't awful. But because we have such high ex- expectations for Baku, it just didn't. It didn't meet those expectations, did it? Really? Oh, no. Nah. And apparently, it started to come down and rain afterwards, just as the race finished. And we're I like, know, oh. an hour too late. Yeah, where was that an hour ago? But I mean, Cal, let's start. I think you know we're going to pick out the biggest WTF one moments from that race. But I think the biggest one for me, you have to look at our winner, Sergio Perez. We know he's been good this year. We know he's fast, but he comfortably beat Max Verstappen on pure pace. No, yeah, you can call it a little bit of luck with the safety car, but actually he pulled away from him. I mean, and if you look when Verstappen was behind him, it wasn't like he was cruising, was he? The amount of times he touched the barrier, especially in those last 20 laps, Max was was flirting with the limit there massively. So I think Sergio looked massively like he had it under control too. I mean, out of all the street circuits, we know that Sergio's, he, you know, his nickname's the Tire Whisperer. The guy is so good at managing tires. And I think that definitely came into play today. There was obviously the concerns after the sprint race where people were talking about tire life with the heat and, and obviously the surface as well. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really happy about that. Well, I, for one, I think that, that maybe it wasn't a great race in terms of like excitement and drama, but this could be the first little catalyst that springs what could be the rest of an exciting season. Well, I mean, Hannah, do, do you think we can actually get a genuine fight for the championship between the two Red Bulls. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but potentially we could see it. We could. I mean, go the first couple of races, I felt obviously Perez won in, in Saudi Arabia, but Max just seemed to be way ahead of everyone else, of course, but Perez as well. Um, but now that Perez has won twice this year, I don't know, it could shape up to be really exciting as the season goes on. I, I don't know how realistic that is, but obviously, I, I mean, I hope so, because that would be really cool best win in his Red Bull career so far? I, yeah. I would say so. I, I think it's the most important one for his career. I mean, if you look at the back and forth and the dynamic that they had, especially the back end of last year, you know, even when we were on the pod together, Harry, the first one we did after Australia, I was like, there's absolutely no way that they're going to allow a fight. And then actually he's gone and beaten them. So thanks to the, uh, the Red Bull team for making me eat my words. And I'm happy actually <laughs> to do that because... You know, really where we're at now is is that was an important moment to show, hey, I've got the ability to beat Max like for like, so I'm worth backing. And I think if there's ever a statement of intent, that was definitely one of the most important wins he's had. Yeah, defo. First repeat winner in Baku as well. How's that for a a little statistic to drop in there? Um, Well, that was kind of... The Red Bull kind of sewn up. They look so fast in a straight line. They are just like a step ahead of the rest of the field. Ferrari looked like they genuinely did have made a little bit of an improvement, but it's not really enough to challenge Red Bull. 
Interestingly, though, Aston Martin, Hannah, looked like they had a, a little bit of a step back, really, compared to where they've been. They had DRS issues and all this, that. Alonso really close to the podium in the end. And he was... It was full of the advice for his for his teammates <laughs> this weekend. I, I was thinking, what the hell have they done to Fernando? <laughs> Who is this? It's like good Fernando and bad Fernando. Suddenly we've got good Fernando telling him, telling Lance, oh, we can have a go and attack me if he wants or giving him break balance <laughs> advice. What's going on? I know. It seemed like from listening to the radio, they were on a direct phone call with each other. The way they were talking, it was like Lance saying, Fernando, don't worry, I'm not going to attack. It's like, I've never seen something like this so far. But yeah, it was it was really cool to see that dynamic. And as teammates, I do think they work quite well. But like you said, this week, it just didn't seem like they could put everything together. They had that DRS issue it, that seemed to keep coming up on Friday, Saturday and today. Um, so that obviously, you know, didn't help them at all. But yeah, I mean, it's a shame that Alonso couldn't keep his third place uh, consistent uh, podium. But uh, yeah, they just weren't with it this weekend. Apart from the radio messages, they weren't with it. <laughs> Love, I mean, Callan, talk about consistency for Fernando. Three third places and a, and a fourth place. He's still well with it. I think it was six tenths, I think, in the end uh, between him and uh, Leclerc. Or it was definitely just under a second over the line. So he was reeling in Leclerc right at the end. Well, also the opportunistic move on signs into turn six, that was a oh. great overtake. Just to catch him while he was napping, it was that's not normally a place where we'd see overtaking, but obviously from a, an outside point of view, it, it really works well and a great design from the track for, for that. So, yeah, I, I think it's kind of interesting because there was always that criticism from Fernando, wasn't there, that he was not necessarily a team player. We saw the McLaren stint with him, didn't go very well. Maybe, maybe he's actually becoming that complete racing driver that, that everyone has always said was there. And it does definitely help when your teammate's dad is, is your boss, probably. <laughs> but, uh, let's not rule that out. But um, He's trying to get that Christmas bonus. Uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. He's performing, he's happy in the environment. And he's just trying to keep, you know, he's trying to keep everyone happy. But, I, you know, there's also a lot of chat about, you know, what, what he's doing personally. Maybe some other people are playing an influence in that, a certain musician. I know everyone's been talking about it the whole weekend, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk talk about at some point but yeah it's, it's nice to see actually Fernando building the team with him because I think Aston Martin when when it clicks and when it comes together if they're building as a unit they're going to take the fight to Red Bull I think yeah definitely I did find it funny though that he gave Lance uh, or he said to the team to Lance I'll give him my um break balance setup and then like a few laps later Lance like broke late and went wide and <laughs> lost the position to Hamilton so I thought oh, okay there is a little bit of Wiley Fernando in there maybe maybe I mean it was it's hard it's a bit like getting bl- uh, blood from a stone Baku a little bit there were good bits and 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 it just never quite delivered as we all expect Baku to right but one of the biggest issues at the end of the race in the pit lane, we had two drivers running all the way to the end, Ocon and Hulkenberg, hoping for something, a safety car, a late red flag, so they can get a kind of free or or cheap uh, pit stop. Cut to Ocon coming into the pits and a sea of people in front of him, closing up the pit lane, getting ready for part for May in the fast lane. That could have been a disaster, Hannah, right? Yeah, it could have been so much worse than it was. And it seems that that's kind of the norm for the end of a race, but the norm isn't that people come into the pits and do a pit stop in the last lap. It kind of highlighted the problem. And I feel like now moving forward, I hope, I don't know if there's been a decision that's been made or or what's going on, but I hope moving forward, they can, you know, make a fine line between what's allowed and what's not allowed. And obviously it shouldn't have happened. And it was, a very dangerous situation and I'm just glad that no one was hurt. 
Mm. I mean, Cal, I'm keen to know your opinion as well, being a driver who, who's who's very familiar with those kind of scenarios, coming into the pit lane, you're fully focused, you're going down to pit lane speed, coming in at really high speeds. You've got to be so wary of what's around you anyway. But but what do you reckon was going through Ocon's head when, when he saw all that? Probably just complete confusion. You know, obviously the drivers as well from Friday, they're just practicing their stops because the pit stops make the difference now. If you you miss your marks by millimeters, the mechanics have to adjust. It adds tenths of a second to your pit stop. And that's the difference between a position, especially, you know, now where Formula One cars, it's, it's difficult to follow. It's difficult to pass. And that's why teams invest so much into their pit stops. You're arriving, you know, everything's on the absolute limit when you pull into the pits and then to find a sea of people I, I, again, I don't really know how you would respond to that, to be honest. I think he, you know, probably was thinking it was the uh, the pit stops are getting too fast and maybe it was the FI's way of slowing things down and making it a bit more interesting. <laughs> but yeah, as, as you said, Hannah, I'm, I'm happy no one got hurt. I think it's probably highlighted maybe that, you know, a procedural thing. I mean, no no sport's perfect. There's, there's loads of procedural stuff that obviously stuff becomes just the norm, as you said. And then all of a sudden there's a, a throw. I mean, how many times do we see people stopping on the last lap of the race? So... It's one of those things where it's hopefully highlighted something else. Um, credit to Esteban for, for not mowing anyone down. And um, hopefully it's Absolutely. something that we don't see again yeah. unless it, it becomes an actual feature for all the teams. So it's not just on Esteban. It, it seems like they just need they needed somebody there to say, this is what's happening in the race. You know, we're not quite there at the end yet. There's still one car that's got mandatory. They've got to come into the pit lane and have a stop. So don't be in the fast lane. The, the regulation states that photographers and marshals are allowed in the pit lane they are allowed freedom of movement during the race in the pit lane as long as they have the correct passes and all this kind of stuff no one is allowed in the fast lane that is a categorical rule and the fia at the end of the race called well themselves to speak to the fia (laughs) the fia called the fia uh to have a have a go at what what the fia were doing uh and they have come out with a a little bit of a a clarification over it they said it was a it was a fortune it was fortunate there were no serious consequences we walked through procedures with fia representatives and required them to take immediate steps and reconsider protocols which i mean is probably the best you're going to get out of that scenario really aren't they there's not a clear-cut decision it's just i think be more vigilant right well, does this mean that the FIA is on the second strike with the FIA? Because obviously we had the, the infringement after Melbourne where yes. they all walked around onto the track and there was there was a car that was still live there. So, I'm, I mean, you know, is it three strikes and you're out? Or how does this work now? What do we do now? Is it a reprimand and then... The one race band for the really FIA. Yeah, exactly. You can bring someone else in temporarily. That's probably the only option, isn't it? It, it, Well, luckily, as you say, no one hurt on that one. But my God, the sea of people in front of him, that was not fun to look at. Um, While we're on the subject of Alpine, though, Hannah, I mean, I mentioned at the start, the Netflix curse is definitely real. We saw it with Mercedes a couple of years ago in Germany when they had a nightmare when Netflix and the Drive to Survive crew go and film with a team. Normally yeah. that team has a terrible weekend and such was the case for Alpine. I mean, for Pierre Gasly, horrendous start, going up in flames, Ocon with a separate issue. And then really they they just, they, were, they weren't really anywhere. You know, Ocon was up in the points, but only because he didn't pit. Yeah, exactly. When I heard that Netflix were with Alpine, I thought, of course, this is why. This is why there's so much going on. But like you said, I mean, Gasly just couldn't catch a break. Alpine in general couldn't, but Gasly, like you said, 
car on fire, crashing, starting from the back, double pit lane start for Ocon. It just went from bad to worse. And I'm sure after Australia, they thought, oh, it can't get much worse than this. You know, our teammates crashing. Well, it, it did get much I'm worse than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't even know where you go from, at, like, if you're Alpine right now, looking forward, do you just have to think, right, this was a shocker. We just have to start thinking about Miami now, forget about what's happened and, and just move forward, I guess. Cal, what do you think? Yeah, I've, I I literally said those exact words. It can't get much worse for them. And then, as always, motorsport has a way of humbling you when you think that it can't get much worse. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, the Netflix curse, we just, if I was a Formula One team and I got the bulletin that, yeah, the, the cameras are following you around, I'd be doing everything within my power to make sure that it doesn't happen, especially if you're one of teams that's, that's on the up and having a good time with things because momentum is everything in the sport. But... Yeah, you know, there's so many people, there's so many moving parts in a Formula One team. And it's it's very, very easy to end on a, a, a massive downward spiral because it's, it's there's so many people trying to communicate with each other, so many different departments. And it all kind of culminates in, in the staff we see at, at the track. But there's also the people at the factory back at Enstone trying to make sense of everything that's going on. And, you know, they're, they're, they've got a, a great pedigree as a team. They've got two quick drivers. So hopefully they'll be able to uh, at least turn things around. But yeah, things... Things aren't looking good. They really need a good race in Miami. Yeah, they do. I mean, they were uh, one of the teams, well, many of the teams brought a host of upgrades uh, this weekend. But I mean, Ocon, I think, said they didn't really get a chance to properly use them because they were too busy trying to repair the cars and make sure the same thing didn't happen again. So, I mean, if you're Pierre, and, and coming off the back of, yeah, Australia, where they both took each other out from great positions, you just think, if you're Pierre Gasly, you just joined this team, you know, your first chance at uh, a top team in sort of quotation marks. And, and it's been a bit of a disaster season, even though there was a bit of hype around Alpine at the same time of the start of the year. Hasn't quite come to fruition yet. We'll see if it does. What else happened at the weekend? It was a sprint weekend, wasn't it? And it's easy to forget that because it seems like it was ages ago now that that happened. <laughs> yeah. New format as well. Basically, everything happened on the Saturday in terms of sprint. Callum, what did you make of the new format? First of all, because basically now the sprint has no effect on anything to do with Sunday's Grand Prix. I like from a from an actual racing point of view, I think it made the sprint more interesting because drivers were taking more risks. I mean, I like honorary mention to George Russell for that first lap when he was fighting mm. with Verstappen. That was absolutely awesome. It was great to see. And, and the great thing about watching that from a driver's perspective is the first corner, he was tough. The second corner, he was a little bit tougher. And then to get the move done, he just kept building the uh the if you like the 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 lack of um what's the word the lack of respect for Verstappen I would say because by the time he eventually finished him off it was like this is this is my corner I'm taking which I don't think we would have seen given the previous format because obviously it set the grid I think the qualifying format probably needs a little bit of refinement to make sure that we're obviously maximizing the track time um and I think Baku's uh, Baku's a bit of a strange place to have it as as the first real go of it I'd I'd like to see where we're at in the next few weekends, obviously more traditional racetracks to see if, you know, a slightly shorter lap, other places where where maybe the drivers and the, the teams can do a little bit more with the car setups to make a difference and hopefully can keep that development going on the weekend. So rather than just having the same results all the time, we can utilize that track time, utilize that actual proper fired up race environment to, to see developments as the weekend goes on. Uh, Hannah, the what I liked about it and maybe maybe more coming from the non-driver aspect was <laughs> yeah. that Friday then only saw one practice session before we were thrown straight into Grand Prix qualifying and that practice session 
well, it's one of the, probably one of the sessions that had, had more action than Sunday's <laughs> race because suddenly it became so much more crucial. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really exciting to see. I mean, I mean, all the drivers seemed to be for having less practice sessions, so it was interesting to see how that played out. And like you said, it was one of the most exciting sessions that we saw. Definitely one of the most pra- exciting practice sessions we've seen so far. Um, it, Friday just felt so full on. I mean, obviously, from a fan's perspective, seeing more racing is great. I feel like because Baku Sunday's race was so, you know, meh, let's say, I feel like in a way it kind of balanced out because it wasn't the best race, but actually we got 25% more racing on the Saturday as well. So it was uh, an interesting weekend to see how the format, you know, how it happened and what worked and what didn't. And I did actually enjoy it. I felt like it was good. I do feel like it needs tweaking a little bit, but I feel like when you try something new, it always needs tweaks to be perfect. So I feel like it was uh, good to try out. And um, I think it was positive overall. Yeah, I just feel like though, it, it it benefits the top teams out of anyone really. Like look at Albon, he put in a really good drive in the Williams into the top 10, but of course didn't get any points for it. And it's like, mm. that's a bit, that to me seems harsh. I, I, I'd agree with that as well. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's, it's the, the problem is you're always fighting aren't you between making it more entertaining because obviously formula one sometimes does need a bit of 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 entertainment factor because it is it's you know it's a very complicated sport but i think that that, like you said hannah i think that the actual process was very interesting but with a bit of refinement to take stuff like that into account i personally i don't know about you guys but i personally preferred it to the old format and i think there's actually more scope to grow as well yeah, I could agree with that as well. There is one thing about the tire rules, which is a bit weird, though. Going into the, you know, no new, no new soft sets being allowed, uh, or only new soft sets being allowed uh, for the SQ3 session, the, the the shootout Q3 part, which seemed a little bit weird to follow, and and I didn't quite understand it because some drivers didn't get then the use of it, and they couldn't take part, like Yuki Tsunoda was going to be without a new set of softs. I mean, can you you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I I think, again, it's with a a new format, obviously stuff like tyre usage over the course of a weekend. Formula One teams are trying to use every set. In an ideal world, as a racing driver, as a race team, you just have loads of new sets because everything's about qualifying. It's If you qualify at the front, it makes your weekend so much easier. So, And obviously, a a race car is different on an old set of tyres compared to a new set when you're going a second, a second and a half a lap quicker. The car balance behaves differently. And the way that the driver has to drive it is very different. So they were really focusing on utilizing that. A lot of teams were were really focusing on utilizing their performance in order to maximize their qualifying position. But then obviously that meant a detriment to the amount of tires that they had available to them. And it was, it was quite a big trade-off. So I think if we could re you know, revise the format a little bit, I'd I'd like to see a little bit more tire allocation being made available. I think that would be a quite a, a quick fix. Um, and it would also, you know, greatly enhance the the, the chances of like a, a mid to back team being able to make the difference because the more data, the more sets of tires they get, the more likely they are to get it right because they have a lot less resources compared to your Mercedes, Ferraris, Red Bulls. So I think that could be quite a, a an interesting uh, fix for the next few sprint races to make it a bit more excited. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think you're right. I think tweaks will come. You explained that way better than I did. So well done. Uh, thank <laughs> God you're here. Um, but even even the fact they made the these initial tweaks, like only a few days before the, the race even began. So I thought that was a bit, bit of a tight time frame to get these changes in but they did that anyway so i imagine there'll be tweaks going forward um let, let's round out some of the, the main sort of racing action i just wanted to touch on um alpha tauri a little bit hannah as well because i mean in the sprint for, for poor old yuki sonoda it, it was a bit of a disaster and alpha tauri then fined for for releasing basically a completely broken car back out into the racetrack after yuki slammed against uh, the wall because of a, a, an incident with um him which i found it if you listen to the interview that that yuki snowden gave he did not say that he crashed with his teammate he didn't say his name he just said that guy him and i was <laughs> that like guy. oh Oof. that is brutal yuki mm. but um despite the the bit of the the low point of um of the sprint race for for yuki's side of of the garage Sonoda in general this year i think has really made a good step up because there was a lot of pressure on him right to make that step up now that gasly had gone yeah, absolutely. It was like, you know, you have, I mean, it's hard. Do you call DeVries a rookie or not? I'm just going to say it for you the think, sake You of absolutely this. do. I don't know yeah. why there's an okay. argument on this. Yeah. He is absolutely a rookie. Of course okay. he is. Anybody okay, so, else would be a rookie. Yeah, I, I no, absolutely. Conundrum. He's a rookie, <laughs> whether he likes it or not. Okay, so we have DeVries, the rookie, coming in in 2023. Um, and Yuki does. He has to step up and be that teammate that's had the more experience in the team. And obviously, Gasly was that before. And I feel like Yuki's kind of taken Gasly's position. And he has stepped up in some ways. I feel like Yuki's been a bit unlucky so far. Obviously, you know, you touched on the sprint. And I thought it's hilarious that his rear wing was taped up and, and last year at Vacu it was exactly yeah. the same thing the DRS flat was the taped up tape. yeah so uh, maybe tape I don't know if that's the all. yeah the best way to fix a car <laughs> but it seems to work for Yuki so um, but uh, it's hard one with Yuki I feel like he does put in good performances every now and again but it's I think missing a bit of consistency at the moment yeah, well, I mean, at the moment, he, he's beating his teammate, which is what he needs to do, Callan. But Formula One and Nick DeVries doesn't quite seem to be clicking right now. Yeah, I mean, there was so much hype around Nick. And, and obviously, you know, he, he comes with a great pedigree. I've actually I've actually raced against Nick myself. We raced together in Formula Renault in 2014. Um, he put me on the grass going down the camel's trade, fighting for a podium in Renault Europe. Now, now, you've said so that I've, about a couple of drivers you've raced against. They always put you on the grass. It keeps <laughs> happening. I got the run and he put me on the grass and it cost me a podium. I'm not bitter about it. It's only been 10 years. So, yeah, I, But I, I, one of the things that sticks out from that year is, is it was the year he won the championship and he was in his third season. And when it clicks with Nick, he is outrageously fast. There was, we, there was 40 cars on the grid. They separated us into two groups of qualifying. And I stuck it on pole in my group. And I was like, that, that was a mega lap. And I mean, we had a good grid. There was like three or four Formula One drivers on the grid that year. And then DeFries' group went out and he put it on pole by seven tenths. Seven tenths round Spa without a toe. And he dominated the season. He won it with a year to go. Then he took the next step up and he struggled. And it, it, it just seems like it just takes Nick a bit of time before he actually clicks. There's been a bit of a pattern throughout his career. And I don't think there's any doubting Nick's ability. But I think he probably just needs to be given 
a little bit of time. That's what he's kind of shown throughout. I mean, Formula One, unfortunately, we had the, the pod last week about, you know, the Red Bull junior team. It's not something that they get the luxury of and, and he is making quite a lot of errors. But I've having raced against him myself and having seen his path to Formula One has, has been rather unconventional. And, and I hope he's given the chance to be able to exploit that potential that I've seen myself as he's grown throughout the, the years to get to Formula One. Yeah, it feels criminal really to, to already be talking about, you know, the future of drivers four races into the longest season of Formula One ever. But I feel like it's it feels it's been elongated because of this spring break we had. I feel like we've been, you know, it's we haven't had any Formula One in ages, but also I feel like we've had a lot of it at the same time. It's a weird scenario. But Alpha Tauri undergoing a lot of sort of management changes as well. Franz tossed the team principal leaving the team at the end of the year, one of the longest serving team principals on the grid. It's like a whole new generation of team principals are slowly coming in. We had the sort of new driver generation of the Russells and Leclerc's, etc., coming in a few years ago, Hannah. And now we have the team principal changes. Uh, Lauren Mekis, the Ferrari racing director, is coming in to replace him. They've also got a new CEO coming in as well. Do you think this is quite important for AlphaTauri to try and get themselves back up the grid because let's face it they've fallen down the field this year yeah i feel like it is important i feel like alpha are the kind of team where they're never really in the same position from year to year they're kind of either at the back or in the midfield and there's not really any consistency and i think one of the reasons of this this leadership change is to get some continuity and stability in the team and i hope that moving forward it does that for them um yeah, I, I'm excited to see. I mean, the ch- having a change in, in leadership and, and roles always does, you know, change up a team in a lot of ways. And having that uh, relationship with the drivers and, you know, everyone who works for AlphaTauri is important. So at first, it you know, it always takes a bit of time to get used to change. But I hope in the long run it is positive for them. Definitely. Well, talking of um, change, in fact, a lack of it, Callan, Baku is staying on the calendar till 2026, end of. Is that, you're happy with that? Yeah, I mean, okay, to the race wasn't barring an today. thriller. Barring today, <laughs> it wasn't an absolute thriller. But, you know, it is it is one of the places that does generate better racing. We've seen moments of controversy. And, and I love the challenge of a street circuit. You know, one of the things that maybe gets overlooked a little bit with street circuits is the drivers are constantly adapting because every time they drive, there's more grip coming. So if they come in and they look at their overlays and they see where their teammates are at, it's okay, you need to break five meters later at turn three, for example. It changes because they go out and the breaking point could be 10 because the track's evolved and it's gotten more grippy. The other thing I love seeing is, is you know, we use a lot of visual reference points for consistency when there's buildings and noise and people and, you know, trees overhanging that massively affects the driver's ability to pinpoint the reference points they use on circuit. So it makes, it makes for more exciting racing. And for me, it separates the drivers that have that last little edge and, um, you know, it throws surprises. I'm, I'm really happy to see it. Also, was it me or was the Azerbaijan national anthem an absolute banger? It was so good, wasn't it? And the little choreography that they had with the the colours on there. It had a bit of a, I mean, it had a bit of a um, sort of classical theme about it. And it was sort of cinematic almost in in just hearing it. I loved it. More of that, please, Azerbaijan. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I have to say, Baku is one, I think it is my favourite track that we go to uh, on the calendar. I do love it. I look forward to it every year. I'm very happy to see it, you know, staying for a, a few more years. Um, I just love, uh, you know, the intensity of it, how, you know, you 
there's no room for mistakes and the drivers being on edge the whole time just does make for lots of entertainment. And like you said, the national anthem, fantastic. So bring it on for a few more years. But could Baku be even better if it was a night race? I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Yes, 100%. It would look brilliant. And I think under the lights, Baku, the massive long straights, the tight, twisty castle section, as long as as long as it's completely well lit, why not? The, the minute they turned Bahrain into a, a night circuit, it, it came alive. Even though Baku is, is has, all right, Bar Today is a good circuit. I just think a night, a night race would be just something different. If the FIA do another thing and end up having to take a one race probation because they've done another thing that they shouldn't have done and they get reported to the FIA. Yeah. I'm putting you forward for president and please make it a thing. <laughs> yes. That's all I want. I just want a Baku night race and then then my life's complete. I, I, assume, think, I actually happy. think I'd be all right at it as well. I actually think <laughs> yeah. in, interim president of the FIA, I'm ready and, and willing whenever you are. Uh, that was the life goal, wasn't it? That's that was, why that was the life goal. all of your life's work's been leading up to this. <laughs> as long as I can still do the WTF1 podcast, we're fine. Uh, so, <laughs> right, well, Baku stays uh, on the grid. Now, uh, before we're going to do our, our WTF1 podium in a few moments, but I mean, I hate, I didn't want to talk about it, but um, Taylor Swift, <laughs> yes, you really did want to talk about it. Let's do, be real. Everyone wants to talk about it. Do we, is this real? I've had friends of mine who have no interest in Formula One texting me literally today, being like, "So apparently Taylor Swift's going out with a racing driver," and I'm just like, "No, that's not true." But now I'm not actually sure because Fernando, being Fernando, didn't confirm nor deny. No, in the interviews, he was he didn't say yes or no, which, you know, doesn't help the situation. And also him making a TikTok with Taylor Swift's song in the background is just so he Fernando. Knows what he, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, it's just the cherry on top, really. And honestly, it, she might turn up at Miami at this point. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Imagine if she shows up, Cal- <laughs> I really like the idea of Fernando Alonso being like this amazing racing driver, but also having loads of risen, just being able to like, literally, <laughs> like imagine, imagine Fernando Alonso just being sat there, comes back to Formula One, absolutely nailing it, and then goes and dates one of the biggest musicians in the, that is, that's such a W for Fernando, it's outrageous. Um, I really hope it's true. There's part of me that believes it probably isn't, and it's a great marketing stunt. And they're both playing for it. But yeah. you know, one of those th- the great things about reality is you can make it whatever you want it to be. So I can't wait for the relationship and then the breakup singles because when when Taylor's had a breakup, that's when the real music comes through. She's been a little bit too happy for so long. We need we need Fernando to get those bad boy vibes in, and then oh, the new music's going to be sensational. If sensational. she ever comes out with a song called Fernando, you know exactly who's, who it's, it's going to be about. called Thirty Three. I guarantee it's going to be called Thirty Three. We have to mention all the little like lyrics that Crofty is putting into commentary every now oh, and again. As yeah. well. He loves Everybody, it. <laughs> even all the interviews, all of them were just every lyric they got. Even Callum has texted me before this. Absolutely disgusting behaviour. I love it. <laughs> everyone, everyone loves, and there's so many good ones. Terrible, mm-hmm. terrible. All right. Well, um, speaking of um, of musicians, um, there's a couple of them on the grid, really, who have a bit of a pastime in music. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, of course, uh, likes to produce music. He can also rap a little bit as well. Uh, appeared on a Christina Aguilera. Um, was it Christina Aguilera? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, with her. Um, now, can you hear this? Now, these dulcet tones or beautiful 
piano tunes, courtesy <laughs> of the Monegasque racer, Charles Leclerc. He's quite the talent. And this got him into the top 10 of the iTunes chart. Are all <laughs> racing drivers this talented, Callum? What music, what music uh, instrument can you play? Um, I... Well, let's. No one's ever going to be able to see it. So I play the drums. I play the guitar. I I'm I'm a triple threat, and it's just something that we do. You know, well, obviously we choose racing because we want to give the musicians a chance. Um, but then eventually we have these breakaway. We've we've got a group chat where we all stay and we we send our music so that it goes somewhere. But um, we obviously never release it. We have an agreement as drivers. When you get your race license, you have to agree to never release music. Oh, oh, sorry. Then, I've, turned, um, I've turned it up. I've turned up the volume. Well, I you know, do you know what I. It's gone back up. I forgot. I'm, listening to I'm losing. I mean, you can tell this is our first podcast. I'm losing control. Okay. Yeah. That's a nice I, point. I, I quite like this new era. And I think it's come, you know, racing drivers used to be quite private. And, you know, the helmet hides a lot of the emotions. And it's been a very close sport. I love seeing drivers have these amazing pursuits that actually it's like, okay, well, there's more to them than just meets the eye. There's more to them than just driving around in circles. And I've, I've played a piano once. Um, and I'd, I'd, um, consumed some liquid that made me believe that I was better at playing mm, the piano than mm, I actually was. Mm. I was in a public place and, um, I'm not very good at the piano. It's very difficult. Yeah. So to have the ability to do what he's doing there is, is awesome. And hopefully, you know, we get more talents. I mean, Nico Rosberg used to be able to ride a unicycle, didn't he? What? He did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen something about Rosberg on a maybe maybe again perception is what you make of it, but I, I'm <laughs> sure I've seen photos of Rosberg and karting like on a unicycle Some, when he was racing. It was actually just, just a normal bike, but somebody photoshopped the the front wheel out, and then, <laughs> that was how it worked. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like the idea of unlocking all of this, and hopefully, you know, this is just the start of the F1 musical takeover. We have we have the Baku anthem, Leclerc's piano, Lewis on you know on the vocals, and then. Who knows, maybe Carlos with a bit of reggaeton. Oh, I no, love a reggaeton I've, bop. I've come up with the perfect idea. Every driver has to bring uh, some sort of musical talent, right? And at the end of the year, they all have to perform the F1 anthem yes. through their instruments. Mm. Yes. So you've got, yes, you've got Charles yes. on the piano. You've got Lewis. He might, he might want to do a bit of rap or he can be producing in the background. Uh, you've got Callan. We can probably stick you on the drums in the back. Just don't, <laughs> don't tell anybody. Uh, can I be <laughs> conductor, please? Exactly. Oh, yes. Fernando, I'm sure, would have learned a few singing tricks from Taylor. So he'll be up front on the mic. <laughs> We'll, we'll get it together. We'll get the band together by the end of the year. Uh, but before we end our first uh, new look WTF1 race review podcast, we're going to do our WTF1 podium. Uh, I want from the Baku Grand Prix weekend in total, I want your star performer. I want your worst performer and I want your biggest surprise. So let's all start with our star performer then. Uh, Hannah, who you got? My star performer, it has to be Perez for me. I think I I don't know if I overestimated Max or I underestimated Perez, but I just didn't think that uh, he would end up with the win. And obviously to keep Max off as well, I, I'm pleased with that. I'm happy for Perez. So for me, he's uh, the star performer. Nice. Callan? I would say Charles. I mean, I don't think Carlos did a particularly bad job from watching the development of the weekend, watching his onboards, everything. I think he did quite a good job. I just think Charles managed to extract that little bit extra from the car in qualifying and obviously did a great job to, to hang on to a podium there in a car that wasn't necessarily as as fast as, as the position he finished in. So for me, it was, was Leclerc. I totally agree. And I just think, it, you know, 
four races in and finally Charles Leclerc uh, gets on the podium and gets some decent points to his name uh, is quite impressive. But he out, he, I think he outdrove that Ferrari a little bit today and kept, uh, kept Alonso at bay. So I'd agree with that. Um, worst performer next. I'm going to kick this one off. I'm, I hate to single out anybody, but those are the rules. And I'm going for Nick DeVries. Uh, I feel like a few, the incident in the, in the Grand Prix, that was a, a categoric driver error, hit the wall, and that was day done. Didn't quite have the pace of his teammate and just didn't come together for him. So uh, I'm going for Nick DeVries. We'll go back around the opposite direction. Callan, you next. Yeah, it sounds like I'm a parrot, but I'm I'm echoing the same yeah. thing. I think it's it's Nick for me. You know, like I said, I, I hope he gets the chance to to click himself out of the the lull he's in. But um, yeah, the the mistakes kind of need to stop a little bit. He needs to start putting some solid results on that. And it just this wasn't the weekend for him, and hopefully he can he can rebuild a little bit in Miami. Yeah, Hannah. Believe it or not, I'm also echoing. It's DeVries no, for me. is it um, a clean sweep for DeVries? I know, oh, I'm not so a, sorry. Not a good way. <laughs> clean sweep. <laughs> oh. I guess it's it's good to know that not many drivers had a bad weekend. Just just the one. Um, but yeah, DeVries, for the reasons that you guys have already said. Yeah, I really I, hope Helmut Marco doesn't listen to this podcast and doesn't value our thoughts. So let's <laughs> let's. Uh... Well, Liam Lawson's going one and super formula out in Japan. So uh, if he goes even better, then uh, Nick DeVries better get a pedal on. Um, biggest surprise, Hannah. For me, it was Leclerc. I I didn't expect Ferrari to be so close to the Red Bull. I mean, they they weren't close, but you know closer or definitely you know not podium worthy. So I was I was surprised to see that and. And for Leclerc, I mean, in the past, I mean, Baku hasn't particularly been his favourite track. So, uh, yeah, I was pleased to see him on the podium. So he was my surprise. Cal? I would say my surprise was Verstappen and not in the way that I expected because I thought when Verstappen got, you know, got into P2 and obviously was driving up to Perez, I thought that was a done deal. Um, I could say Perez was a surprise, but I think, well... You know, it balances out. I, I could also say that, that Perez was the kind of like star performer. So I, I'd say my biggest surprise was Max actually not having Sergio's pace. And um, I'm keen to see how that flips the power dynamic a little bit if it continues over the course of the season. I mean, I think I'm in agreement with you. Uh, my biggest surprise was Sergio Perez not for being up there, for, for being able to get in front of Verstappen and then being able to pull away and keep up the pressure and manage to... to survive essentially you know that gap was over two seconds at one stage and, per, and you, Verstappen was pushing nearly in the wall couple of mistakes complaining about issues Perez my surprise performer of that Grand Prix uh, well that brings us to the end though of our, our the new look WTF1 race review podcast let us know uh, wherever you're listening to this to we'd love to hear your WTF1 podium as well your star performer your worst performer and your biggest surprise performer from the Azerbaijan Grand Prix uh, but that is it for now make sure you do like and subscribe to WTF1 wherever you get your podcast and if you can leave us a review as well a positive one, if you liked us, that'd be really great. We'd love to hear your feedback on how you want the show uh, to go and look going forward. Uh, my thanks to Hannah Atkinson for joining us for this one. Callum O'Keefe and myself, Harry Benjamin, will be back next week. It's a, There's a lot of races coming up in the next month or so, so you're going to be stuck with us, I'm afraid. So we'll be back next week after the Miami Grand Prix. We hope to see you then. But in the meantime, bye-bye. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.